everybody. This is Advice for Life with Lynn. Today's topic is love your ex. Hmm. You know, your girlfriend might call you up and say, that son of a bitch, he's with so-and-so. Can you believe that? And then, you know, the kids like her. I don't know. But what would you say to a girlfriend who is having a tough time? All right, so this is a very hard thing, you know, but ultimately anyone that's in our ex-spouse's life will hopefully love and take care of that person and, and by extension, our children. And there was something about your ex that drew you to them in the first place. And you have to trust that that piece is still there, that they're going to choose well, and that this that there's no limit to how much love your children can be exposed to. So I do hear that a lot. I hear like... You have problems? She has answers. Getting down to the nitty-gritty with people who know what they're talking about. This is Advice for Life with Lynn. I know that topic sounds like it may be unrealistic, but I just liked how love your ex sounded because it sounded so, I don't know, kind of ironic, you know, better than like your ex. You want to love everybody, right? But, you know, if you just want to like or accept your ex, <laughs> that's fine too. There's no there's no rule here. Now, we've touched on this subject before um, when we talked about divorce uh, with a divorce lawyer on this podcast about how to have a good divorce. And that was such a good podcast. This show... Uh, this podcast is going to show you not only how you can have a good relationship with your ex, we're also going to show you what things set you up for a toxic relationship with your ex and how to avoid them. I personally really didn't get a chance to have a great relationship with my ex-husband because sadly he passed away. I think you guys know this about two years ago or two years after rather our divorce. Um, Initially, you know, when we separated, things were pretty good. Quotes around that. You know, our divorce negotiations were also pretty good. We did them ourselves, you know, but when I started to date and I started to move on, things got a little prickly. And I understand how emotion drives all anger for all of us, hatred, negativity, and just brings up pain for everybody. So the question is, how do we avoid that? Maybe not avoid it, but how do we get past it? Even better, how do we have a good relationship with a person we were once so in love with, <laughs> promised to be with forever, but now don't want to be with at all? Our guest is licensed psychotherapist Carolyn Wheeler-Garcia. Carolyn, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So what's the number one mistake that you find that couples make in when divorcing in terms of how they treat each other? Oh, my gosh. Like number one, there are so many. Um, I think the number one thing that I see that that upsets me that kind of starts at the beginning um, is I hear, uh, well, first of all, people immediately uh, lawyer up um, and people start what people call divorce planning. I don't know if you're familiar with this term. They, they stop seeing their ex as a person and they begin to see their ex as a rival mm -hmm. uh, they don't see their ex as even the, the father or mother of their children um, they just see it as a person them as someone that they have to beat like it's this war that that has to happen and it's not helped by um, the narrative that is out there about divorce, you know, so if we, if we talk about uh, divorce with our friends, we talk about it with our parents, uh, when we're about to go through it, the narrative is so negative. Um, your friends tell you, oh, you know, 
he's an asshole. She's a bitch. You got to call this lawyer. You've got to do this. You've got to, you know, send your kids to this psychologist and they'll come out in favor of you. And it just sets up the entire, um, the entire future of your relationship in a negative way. And it's completely unnecessary. It doesn't have to be like that. What, what do you think is that's about? Like, where does that come from? I, <laughs> that's a big question. I know, but I think it's just such a strong cultural narrative that we have that, that divorce has to be acrimonious. Um, mm. and I think that's changing. I think that, um, you know, certainly I see in the twenties and thirties that do not want their parents divorce. They grow up shuttling between houses, um, sticking to rigid custody schedules, uh, not being able to spend holidays where they want or with whom they want. And they now come to me and they say, Hey, you know, we, we don't want any part of this. We don't want to do this. That's refreshing and hopeful that the next generation of divorce, Mm -hmm. which is inevitable, inevitable, um, is learning from their parents' mistakes. Absolutely. And, you know, it doesn't make anybody unique to get divorced anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I hear, People talk a lot about the shame of it or the stigma, but if we're really going to be honest with each other, many of us are going to go through at least one divorce in our lifetime. It doesn't make you unique anymore to be divorced. What do you hear the ex-wives complain about versus the ex-husbands? Oh my gosh, that's interesting. The ex-wives complain about... um, how overworked they were in the marriage, um, how their husband underperformed, um, you know, which is a whole other topic. You know, women these days were, were overperforming at, at just such a major level. Um, how their husbands, uh, you know, either didn't do what they were supposed to do at work, at home, with the kids. Um, and with the men, uh, it's interesting. I hear a lot about how um, their wives stopped caring, um, that they, the sex, you know, went to hell. Um, attention. Hear, what's that? Attention. Lack of attention. Lack of attention, mm-hmm. especially once kids come along. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it became all about the kids. I hear that a lot, too. Um, so, yeah, about that. It's sort of typical of what you would expect, I guess, um, from yeah, each, I guess right? It would. I guess it is. Do yeah. you find that, and we're going to get into the good stuff. Hang on, everybody. We're talking about the bad stuff. But do you find that it, that is a uh, um, result of, I mean, you're getting divorced for a reason. Yeah. Um, but these complaints, it, it, you're coming only from your side. It, is it just a, a, a lack of an inability to see the other person's point of view or put yourself in their shoes you know by the time people get to me we're a good five or six years too late and a lot of people come to me um you know as a couple because they feel as though they have to check the box of therapy like i can't get divorced until i tell everyone oh yeah we tried to went to therapy so uh, erases guilt yeah so Mm. it's pretty apparent to me within the first 15 minutes when one person is out of the marriage and the other no matter what they're saying and the other one is in or vice versa um ooh, what are the signs like what would how could you tell a couple really wants to work versus a couple who's checked out uh a lot is body language Mm. um i had one couple come in and both of them sat as far apart as they possibly could. And they both, and they weren't aware of it at the time I brought it up to them. They both kept taking their wedding rings off during the oh, entire session. Oh God, ding, ding, ding. So that was interesting. I just sat there watching them remove 
their wedding rings. And at the end, I said, are you aware that you guys just both were the entire hour were taking your wedding rings off? And they were like, no, they had no clue. Well, they were both in sync. <laughs> they both wanted they both out. <laughs> okay, so before we get to the good stuff, um, okay, so well, we'll, we'll, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, something else that I, I notice is that in marriage, you know, when you get married, your husband or your wife starts off as the person that you can tell everything to. Mm-hmm. And by the time they get to me, their spouse has become the person that they can tell nothing to. And, you know, there is no benefit to not talking to your spouse about everything, good, bad, ugly. There's just no benefit to it. People just stop talking. Well, and why do you think that it's so? I think on some level, we encourage people to lie to us by our reaction to the truth. You what know, do you mean by that? I mean, if I have something that I know that my partner isn't going to like, um, and I, you know, risk, I emotionally take the risk of telling them this, you know, information and they react negatively and, and reactively and they yell and they scream and they, you know, throw a tantrum or whatever they do, whatever behavior they do, then I've learned something very important. I've learned that it's really not safe to speak mm. my truth. Ooh, deep. That is so true. But wouldn't you figure that out in dating, hopefully? Hopefully. But, you know, it's interesting when you're dating. Um, I feel like the brain has like a negativity bias um, in, in general, right? Yes. So what do I mean by that? It means that like, you know, you're walking down the hallway in eighth grade and you trip and you fall and everybody laughs and you remember that day until you're like 80. You don't remember the other times that you walked down the hallway in eighth grade and didn't fall. So that's your brain's negativity bias. And it was designed um, way back, you know, millions of years ago to keep us alive, mm-hmm. um, to remember the bad things that happened to us so that we could be on you know, mm-hmm. on the watch for, for them happening again. The one area that I feel like our brain doesn't have a negativity bias is in relationships and love. I feel like it's kind of the opposite. We just, you know, you hear the term blinded by love. and You remember the good stuff. You remember the good stuff, of course. And people are showing us from the very second that we meet them who they are. We're just too stupid to see it. They show us in a million ways. We just don't see it. Well, that's why I feel like it's great to go through some really bad, terrible times when you're dating. Mm-hmm. Um, you can show each other who you really are, if you're going to show up, or how you show up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you ask people that are getting divorced, you know, I'll say to them sometimes, I'll say, think back to when you were dating. Was there anything that stood out for you that was a big red flag? And Inevitably, every single one says, boom, this was the moment that I should have known that this was not for me. Right. But, you know, I guess blinded by love. I mean, there's many reasons why people ignore flags. I guess it's personal. Sure. So how can we love our ex if we are programmed by society to, you know, screw the other person? It's always always somebody else's fault. Women are crazy. The guy Mm -hmm. was lazy or whatever. Um, Infidelity. Infidelity. Oh, yeah. Forget that, man. That's Mm -hmm. like a uh, take your heart out and stop it on the ground. So Mm -hmm. hurt, pain. So you have hurt and pain and fear, usually with fear with money. Mm -hmm. Um, How do we get past that and... um, have a good relationship with our ex. 
So the first thing I tell people is to, um, to stop seeing each other as spouses and to really see each other as people. And, you know, all of us deserve love. All of us deserve partnership. All of us deserve passion, um, someone to talk to. And our spouses deserve that too. Our exes deserve that too. And so I implore people to please stop seeing the other party as a wife or a husband, but as a person that's deserving of all good things. So that's the first step. Um, the second thing I ask people to do is to not share with friends and family because it's inflammatory. They're uh-huh. going to be inflamed. Because they're naturally going to take your side of and want to beat the other person up. So what do you mean by not share? Not share any details? Not share any facts? I encourage people to come up with a um, a narrative together. A, a story. A story of why we got divorced. Of why. And it has to be. And they come up with mm. it in session together. And it has to be true. Because mm. if it's not true for both parties, they can't. People aren't going to stick with it. But I encourage it to be short. And I encourage it to be the response for every single person, except for, of course, like your mom or your, whoever you're closest to in your family, you can tell, you know, you can But share. it's true because everybody, most people will say, why did you get divorced? Right. What and happened? your tennis coach, your, right. your kid's teacher, the principal at the school, mm-hmm. um, the piano teacher, they all want to know. And they, why do they all want to know? They all, you know, is it going to happen to me? That's what I feel like. That's why most people ask. Like, it puts a mirror up in yeah. front of other people's faces. Yes. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Tell me what happened to you, so I can make sure it doesn't happen to me. So, exactly. So a good, so a good story. You call it a narrative. When I say story, we all tell stories. It's not make believe, like you just said, Carolyn. It has to be right. based on facts. So, for example, can we talk about you? Sure, we can talk okay, about me. Okay, so you have a great relationship with your ex-husband. I do. He's an incredible, amazing man. Great what, father. What is your story? Why did was, you get divorced? What was our narrative? Oh my gosh, I'm trying to think. It's been a while. You're <laughs> putting me on the spot. Um, you know, our narrative was that I think due to a, you know, we just grew apart ultimately. That was really our narrative. And that was the truth. We just grew apart. Why did you grow apart? Hmm. I think we had a, a series of kind of traumas throughout the marriage that maybe we didn't handle well. Um, starting very early, I had a, a kind of traumatic miscarriage and then um, my son was born with a heart defect and then my other son um, got sick and was in the ICU for a little while and almost passed away. And and then I had a tragic death in our family that was I was a witness to, and so was he. And I think all of these things kind of, we just never knew how to handle it. Mm. We just never, and we were both so overwhelmed with the kids and, you know, work. We just kind of went one direction and the other, the other, other direction. And, and in that true story, you didn't blame anybody. You just said, you just... You I'm sure we both blamed each other. Well, I'm saying right now, I just want everybody to listen. You know, that's a, the point is don't blame, take responsibility, come up with factual right. facts of a, of a narrative of why you got divorced. You know, that ultimately, I was the problem. He was the problem. We were both the problem and we were both the solution. It takes two to tango. And I know that I did my fair share. And, you know, I, part of it was taking accountability and, you know, I tried to apologize for my piece. You know, mm-hmm. I I 
said to him, I'm deeply sorry for what I have done to you, whether it was not being attentive, whether it wasn't being there for you in the way that you needed. I'm sorry. And I, you know, I fucked up. Right. (laughs) I did the best I could and probably wasn't very good. And don't you think the beautiful thing about owning your part in the dissolution of marriage is you get to forgive yourself. Absolutely. And when you can forgive yourself, it opens up the ability to forgive others. Yes. And he also, you know, was able to own his part. And that was very freeing for me. Now, what if he didn't? Because, you know, we're talking ideally here. That would be great because um, I have been in a situation where I have been, I've done my part Mm -hmm. and I didn't receive the same feedback, but we, we have to be okay with that. Of course. And remember, it's, that's not about us. That's about them and their capabilities or, or lack thereof. Um, it literally has nothing to do with you. It's about their skill set, what they brought into this relationship. Some people just can't. Right. And it doesn't have anything to do with you or how you did. And it's okay. And so, in some ways, you can almost pity them for that. You can almost feel sorry. Right. That not that's a, not the best a, they could do. Not, not in a victim a, way. Like, not well, in a victim right. way, but in a, but yes. gosh, I, I really empathetic. want you to grow right. and, and learn. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, number one, see each other as people. Number two, come up with a, a narrative that you both agree on. Don't talk to, you know. Don't allow uh, others to mm-hmm. divide you because it's what they're going to try to do. The nice thing about that in a divorce situation, and I tell people this all the time, when people ask about you, um, it's so easy to turn it around. People are wonderfully self-centered. So if they ask an intrusive question, you can just turn it right back around and say, but how are you? <laughs> and they'll forget all about you. So that would be more like uh, close the door. Yeah, sure. Um, you don't yeah. always have to divulge everything. No, absolutely not. It's private. Okay. Now, what else? Like, I'm trying to think about... Mm your own situation. So, you know, when I first talked to you, you were talking about how wonderful your ex-husband yeah, is. And is. so how, how can you sit there with a smile on your face and, and, and be so appreciative of him as a man and yet not be in love with him and have no emotional attachment? Well, I have enormous emotional attachment to my ex. Um, he's the father of my children. And um, I mean, how could I not love the person that gave me my two children? I mean, no one in this world will ever take that place. So I do love him very deeply. I just don't have romantic love for him. And does he feel the same way about you? Yes, I think so. Did you guys both arrive there at the same time? Um, I think I arrived there a little sooner than he did. Yeah. Were, Were either of you ever angry? Oh, yeah. Both of us are angry. <laughs> okay, thank God, because I was really worried you weren't a human. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> of course. What were you I think angry we're, about? Um, I think I was more hurt. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think for me, the emotion was more pain, you know, and sadness. And for him as well, right? We default to anger in our culture because it's really the only acceptable emotion that we're taught is okay. We're not taught about the varying emotions, so... I don't think I was angry. I think I was just sad. It's the death of a dream. You know, you have this dream for your life and your kids. Oh, yeah. You don't want to let your kids down and your families. And it's hard. It's It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Okay. So 
see each other's people, come up with a story and a narrative that you both agree on. Don't allow others to divide you. Don't be blabbing away. Absolutely Zip it. not. Um, you know, step away from the lawyers on some level. Yeah. That's- you know, if you can do it amicably with a, a you know, like a divorce without war. Or a, but, you know, what is your mediator? advice? What, are you, what is your advice on that? Because... I think, you know, having gone through it myself, not only do you have pain, you have fear, financial fear, because divorce is not cheap, even if you don't ha- use a lawyer. So, Thanks. you know, have half the income, all these responsibilities, mm-hmm. and it's tempting to, oh, you know, I'm, I'm like grab what you have and you can't have this and you're going to take it away. Fear. Right. How do you help people look past that? Right. So those are all emotions of scarcity, mm-hmm. you know, like that this idea that there isn't enough. Um, and so I encourage people to, um, you know, I say to people, if your ex is doing well, you're going to do well. Mm. So if one of you is doing badly, it's absolutely going to impact the other party. Um, obviously, it's easier for me because I work with people that come to me specifically because I don't want, you know, the traditional divorce. Right. So they are already enrolled in the concept of an amicable divorce. So it's right. easier to work with those people. Um, people don't come to me that, you know, want to have the knockdown drag out right. battle. Right, so, right. um, so I just Im- encourage them to, uh, okay. For example, in my own situation, when we got separated, uh, we both needed new cars, right? But he needed a new car more. So I said, all right, well, you have a greater need for a new car. Like let's, that'll be the focus. We'll pay for a car for you. And then, when we have the money, we'll pay for a car for me. And so whatever need mm. is greatest, I encourage couples to really talk about their needs. Does the private school bill need to be paid? Um, does one child have special therapies that are expensive? Um, what are we going to do here? You know, and we just hash it out. In session. So think as a team still. Absolutely. Because you are, mm-hmm. you know, once you have a child with someone, the one that dies first wins in the sense that you're together for life. Right. You don't, get to not have this person in your life. This is your primary relationship in some ways forever. What do you mean who dies first? I mean, (laughs) peace out. I'm done. You're together Mm -hmm. until one of you dies. Right. So you better make it good because life is too long. It's too long a life to not get along. It's too many birthdays, back to school nights. It's too many weddings, funerals, christenings, um, to hate each other. To ha- right? I mean, can you imagine? Oh, yeah. I can, <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, I, I see it. I see it happen to some of my friends. Um, wh- so how can you, how do you help people get through, you know, when somebody starts to date another person or, you know, remarries that, mm-hmm. that feeling of, um, well, I hear from men, you know, that it's, it's like visually seeing, you know, what I had is gone or, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you improved and then moved on. And from women, it's, you know, a threat. You know, this woman's going to take my kids. Or I'm going to be replaced or how dare, you know, who does she look, you know, what does she look like? Mm-hmm. Um, touches insecurity. For sure. What is, what is your advice on how to handle when the other moves on? Generally, um, there's kind of a backsliding that happens. Uh, we kind of, Go if we've gone a certain way in therapy, we tend to devolve a little bit at that time. Mm-hmm. Meaning, um, they start arguing a little bit, and and they all come in for a session, and we just kind of work through all the feelings. We talk all about it as honestly as possible. We even talk about um, 
the first meetings, how we're going to behave when we inevitably run into our ex-spouse and their new boyfriend or new girlfriend. We discuss all of these things. Well, what would you say to a, a girlfriend whose ex has moved on and she's pissed off? Mm. And doesn't, you know, it, a lot of us aren't very good at saying how we feel. We're good at projecting. You know, right. your girlfriend might call you up and say, that's son of a bitch. He's with so-and-so. Can you believe that? And then, you know, the kids like her. I don't know. But what would you say to a girlfriend who is having a tough time? All right. So this is a very hard thing, you know, but ultimately anyone that's in our ex-spouse's life will hopefully love and take care of that person and, and by extension, our children. And there was something about your ex that drew you to them in the first place. And you have to trust that that piece is still there, that they're going to choose well, and that this that there's no limit to how much love your children can be exposed to. So I do hear that a lot. I hear like, I don't want this girl around my kids. And I ask them, I say, well, do you do you trust your ex? And inevitably, most people really do. When you get down to it, most people trust that their exes are decent human beings. But that's not what it's about, really. It's no, really about being I replaced, say, right? Well, yeah, it's the about it, their own insecurities, right. their own fears. You know, and then I just encourage them to get to the place of quiet acceptance that you know this is this is good you want your ex to be happy you want your ex to find love again how do you help people let go of anger mm -hmm. because you just said you want your ex to be happy mm -hmm. i know people who say no i don't <laughs> That son of a bitch, he cheated on me, or it could be a year ago, 10 years ago, or right. how do you and help people do you think let comes go? back to you when you have that, when you have that attitude in life? Is what that what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. If you project anger into this world and hatred, fear, jealousy, those are all, those are all scarcity emotions. They're, nothing good comes to you when you live from that place. And I try to encourage them, you know, just that, just to, to let that go, because it's only going to bring them more pain. And you see it. You mm -hmm. can see it in your friends. You can see it in the people that still hold on, still hang on to all that anger. You can see the result. Which is what usually? Misery on their part. Is it true that, you know, when your ex is happy, like, oh, okay, she's got a boyfriend, or he's got a girlfriend, or so-and-so's getting late, or whatever. Um, that when they're happy, that, you know, it, you're left alone? You know, that's what I usually see, frankly. Okay. Um, yeah, because they've kind of moved on, and they're living their life, and thank goodness for that. You know? Yes. I, ideally, and with most of my families, when this gets, when we get to this point, um, where there's a new person, we talk about how we're going to further blend the family. Can we have, um, family dinner together? Can the new boyfriend or girlfriend come? What's it going to look like? How are we going to behave? We talk about all those things. But when somebody's, you know, like, let's talk about child support, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, or if somebody feels like they're still being wronged in some way, um, whether they're going through the litigation process or not, mm -hmm. isn't it hard to even get to that point? You have to like... Yeah, it takes time. Right. It takes a lot of time. It does. It's a, it's a progression. 
And it's also a series of sliding backward. It's two steps forward, one step Ah, back. So don't be discouraged. Mm -mm. What's this step back like? Generally around these kind of these events, you know, like a new girlfriend or boyfriend, um, the end of the court case, if there was one, um, transitions, any kind of transition. So what is your best advice for life in a sentence Oh God! <laughs> on how to love your ex? In one sentence. Okay. Um, your ex at one time was the most important person to you, the center of your world, uh, oftentimes the father or mother of your children. And to not, how could you not love them? How could you not love them just based on that? They're just people that deserve happiness and good things. And at one time, you loved them so much. They're still that person. Beautiful. So let's go to, I, I love going over tips because it helps me when I'm uh, listening to a podcast running or whatever. So Carolyn's top five tips basically to love your ex is you said, see each other as people. Number one, mm-hmm. that's a really good one. Absolutely. Number two, come up with that narrative that you both agree on, on how or why you got divorced. Mm-hmm. Three, don't allow others to divide you, you know, like your friends or, you know, people who care about you who, you know, want to tear the other person up. Uh, four, step away from lawyers if you can. If oh, you can, please, please, begging everybody this, yeah, because that's their job. You that's know, that, their, job their job is to, to stir the pot. Yes, and five, have some quiet acceptance. Come to a place, and that sounds like you may need to rinse and repeat. Quiet <laughs> acceptance. You know, it's not like okay, I'm cured today, I'm healed, I accept everything. No, it's, and it's gonna, daily, yeah. daily work. It's a battle. It's a battle. Right. Wow, what a. What a great podcast. Thank you so much, Carolyn, for joining us. If you want to get a hold of Carolyn Wheeler Garcia, you can contact her on Instagram at Grove Therapy, or you you give out your phone number to strangers. Sure. So what is that? <laughs> 305-904-8813. Repeat that again. 305-904-8813. All right, everybody. Let's go love our ex. Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> A reminder to everybody, submit your questions on AdviceForLifeWithLynn.com. And while you're there, sign up for my free email. You'll be the first to get my weekly blog on how to live consciously and peacefully. You'll also get access to my free happiness guide when you sign up. Also, I'm looking for guests with different ways that they can help the Advice for Life with Lynn followers. So reach out. Maybe if you think you've got something to say and you want to be on the podcast. Lastly, please subscribe and rate my podcast on iTunes. I really care about what you think. So tell me how I'm doing. I want your thoughts. The links are in the show notes and also on the website. I want to help as many people as I can with this podcast. So your shares, your subscribes and reviews help us gain visibility in the iTunes store and they help us reach more people. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. And remember, there is nothing we can't talk about.